Welcome to Saints and Sisters, a conversational podcast between sisters about faith, moral compass, and the role that God plays in our lives. Follow along as we explore these themes through discussions of books and literature, scripture, and using the current headlines as guideposts. For today's book selection, we took two weeks to read something other than God by Jennifer Fulweiler. Last week, we talked about the book up through her like beginning to embrace Catholicism. And this week, we're going to talk more about where it kind of went off the rails for two of us. And that is in the Catholic Church's treatment of all things sexuality. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> So we also want to acknowledge that this is Pride Month and that we are sensitive to the issues of sexuality and identity and choice, but we also wanted to be able to have like an open discussion with our resident catechism (laughs) specialist (laughs) who understands these things better from a Catholic point of view. Because this is where I feel like that that we aren't sure that the Catholic faith will ever align with what we believe. Sherific. So, you know how um, when you get together with friends or family, there's like certain topics that you never talk about. And one of them is always abortion <laughs> because it's so loaded and um, tension filled. And it seems like it intersects with so many other values and beliefs. And so, first of all, I just appreciate having this conversation. Um, Second of all, that's where, like Sarah, you were mentioning, you know, where did the book go off the rails? And I feel like for me, being pro-choice has been something that I'm, I believe deeply in a woman's right to choose. And I feel like this book was a good example of, when pro-life, when the pro-life movement or people who have a pro-life stance use sort of the worst possible scenario that happens in like 1% of cases to as a scare tactic or as a sensational tactic, you know, of why you should be pro-life. And so I always feel like that stalls the conversation or, or ends the conversation because it doesn't give us I feel like it doesn't invite conversation. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like Fullwider did that. You know, she kind of used that sensational, um, you know, the partial birth abortion uh, example. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as she said that she had like walked into the office and her husband was watching a video of something and he was like, I'm going to throw up. I was like, what is she talking about? And then she started talking about it. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. She went from like, in like two pages, she went from, I'm never not going to be pro-choice to railing about like the worst case scenario. And I think like one quote I heard a long time ago that made a lot of sense to me um, was somebody saying that for conservatives, the only abortion that's ever going to be okay is their own because there will be a reason for it and a justification. And, um, I think that like, before we even go any farther on the like abortion topic, I, it is, um, offensive to me that it's always reduced down to being pro-choice as being pro-abortion because 
really it's being pro having an array of education and tools at your disposal across all race and class borders that will make you be able to truly have a choice about your reproductive life. And that includes having contraceptives available. It includes having comprehensive sex ed in public schools so that people have education about sex and sexuality from the beginning so they can make informed choices. And um, also, obviously, the huge, like, issue of social justice in having access to funds for proper health care because... I don't know, this could be a whole like 800 episodes to talk about, but it, you know, it comes down to the fact, like, I know that there is a history of racism in all aspects of advocacy and activism, because it's not like the doing the vote, they weren't advocating for black women to have the vote also. So there's all of that. But I feel like from that point forward in the book, um, when she was saying basically that she went from being pro-choice to all of a sudden she was staunchly pro-life in all cases, you should have the baby. And also you should not be having sex unless you are trying to have a baby, which I thought was interesting because she got pregnant unexpectedly like four times in the book. (laughs) She kept being like, well, here we are. I guess I'm not sure how that happened, but I'm super good at natural planning. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not. Like, because we have a sister who is really good at it. So we know it can be a legitimate family planning tool if you yeah. actually plan it. Right, Mandy? I mean, no, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, it did seem like she she didn't actually ever plan it, but she said she's using she's family not. planning. I saw Mandy with her head down taking notes. I know. Amanda's like, oh my God, they are going to hell um but i guess i know but i guess i didn't i didn't quite finish like it's not just a choice for them to be like well i can't raise this baby right now so i'll have it because mortality rates for african-american mothers or black mothers is higher in this country because they don't have adequate access to good health care and so um but i think that and this is an area where I don't know the current statistics because it's not an area that I wrestle with as far as where I stand with my beliefs. Um, But I think it would be important to look at the current statistics of and see, um, because I would expect that there still are disparities between like considering who is impacted by abortion. And so looking at the perspective of. Oh, there are. So like 40 something percent of abortions are by black women. And they're like 14% of the population. Right. And I, but I think like that's 40% of ones that are recorded. Like how many are done privately that aren't ever documented that way by rich white people who can hide that that is a part of their history. So I feel like that statistic is hard to take at just face value. So there's like, there's just so much involved in this. Like, so, and that's where I think that you have like I said, the only one that's ever going to be okay is the one that's your own. Because you can't tell me. Like, I can't even begin to think about how many abortions have been paid for on the sly by all of these conservative white politicians who are supposedly the forefront of the Christian United States. Or, like, 
or like nuns that had to have abortions because they were raped by priests. Like there's lots of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I know uh, I'm trying to think I lost my train of thought. Oh, but I just think that we can't ignore when there's disparities and to consider just based on knowing that the women are adversely impacted um, and knowing that there's deep wounds that they have to heal through based on having an abortion. So we have to think about that bigger system of if there are people who are being impacted, then we have to think about them. But it's also for me, it's always been just thinking about I really appreciate the Catholic perspective of respect from respect for life at all stages. And so when I think about abortion, one of the things that I've thought about is I could never look into my daughter's eyes and say, I'm pro-choice because that would be saying to them, it was my choice. Your life was in my hands. If I had chosen that I wanted to have an abortion, your life would have been over. Um, Like, how could I say that to my girls? Um, Because as a mother, my role but it is true. I know. But, but that is true. Right. But as a mom, my role is to nurture and to protect. And I would never say that would have been okay if I had wanted to. It should. It's my choice. And if I had wanted to, I could have ended your life because I, I wouldn't. And then I also think about another scenario for me that's a clincher is when I was fairly young, I remember um, hearing that someone had contemplated abortion, but then didn't. And knowing that the child that was born did not have an ideal life or or like ideal childhood as far as compared to my childhood was pretty much ideal. And so I think about how a lot of times when people advocate for why abortion should be a choice, that a lot of the life context that this child lived through would align with reasons why people say that there should be pro-choice and that the mom would have been justified in ending that child's life. But there's like... I can't look at that child and say it would have been okay for your mom to follow through with this or it might have potentially been better for you because look at how the challenges that you had to work through. I could never say that. Like I would only be able to look at that person and say, I am so glad every day that that's not the choice that your parent made and you like your life matters. You, um, you needed to exist. So I guess it's just, this isn't something that I've struggled. And I kind of remember, so like as beliefs taking, like constructing beliefs over time, I remember in high school, we had to do like mock Supreme Court cases. And the one that I had was um, pro-life versus pro-choice looking at that lens. And so I remember like even from the high school point that that was something that I already had that sense. Um, And I guess I've never struggled with leaning towards a pro uh, pro-choice side. And so I just feel like I have a strong conviction of it is a life and life should be protected. And it, a life, like it shouldn't be a choice rather not a baby's born. Um, just because it is killing the baby. I mean, obviously. So, and I know that there's a debate of some people wanting to say like, well, it's not a person yet until they're born or at a certain point, but biologically, like it is a person. So, why would we justify that it's okay? And I guess that's, again, where I just really have strong convictions with the Catholic belief that there's dignity in life at all stages. And that's like one of the strongest convictions that we have to uphold because it can be a slippery slope if you shift not valuing life at different stages. So there's, of course, 
inequities and injustices. Because I know one of the concerns that um, I think Sarah's mentioned and maybe Sherry too, but just the concerns with um, like advocating for pro-life, but then not giving all the support needed for all of the different phases of life. So that's obviously something that is an ongoing thing as well. But we can't say that that life doesn't matter for the sake of, well, there would be challenges within their life or of the mom and the child. Because I also think about, as I mentioned earlier, the damage that abortion does to the moms. Um, Abby Johnson, I'm sure you've heard the name, but wouldn't necessarily agree with her (laughs) with where you're at right now. But she, in one of her interviews, made a pretty bold claim saying that she thinks that every single woman who gets an abortion is a victim. Um, And the people who were interviewing her were saying, like, really? Um, But she was just talking about based on the damage, like, even if someone said that they wanted it, um, that she still feels like they're a victim based on what it does to them um, in different ways. And I can't, that's not fresh enough in my mind to remember the full details, but just her sense of, and she had experienced abortions and so, and working for Planned Parenthood and seeing a lot of different scenarios. And so I tend to believe someone who's had that insider glimpse in, from multiple levels and if she says that they're all victims, then I think that that's something important to think about as far as the damage caused for the women as well. And then when you layer on top of that, the disparities for knowing that it adversely impacts certain populations more than others as well. So where does the role of the, like the Catholic church also places primacy of individual conscience and acting on your conscience. Um, I, the, the name of the current Pope slips my mind right now, which is why we're having this conversation. <laughs> Cause I can't remember. I was like, Pope, Pope for you. Dang it, what's his name? Francis. <laughs> so Pope Francis has, um, you know, he's mentioned that idea of individual conscience as, you know, the, primary driving force, you know, when, when asked questions about um, some of the values and morality, things like abortion, how does that factor into this discussion about abortion and the reality of the individual conscience and, you know, versus making a blanket value statement for all women? So I don't know if I am sure particularly what you're asking about. Um, as far as individual conscience, I know that we have a responsibility to form our consciences. And um, I know that we have, like as Catholics, did you two by chance watch the Father Mike video on Catholic versus Christian and talking about that or did or not? No, did you send that to us? Yeah, um, we can. So I can send that. Oh, again. I did not see that. Okay, so I can send again later. But yeah, in that video, he talks about how one of the differences between Catholic and Christian in general is like it comes down to authority. And so he kind of talks about how like that's not a word that fits well in our mouths, like just because that sense of authority. But um, talking about historically over time, why it's important to have both sacred scripture and sacred tradition. And so with the church structure, and again, I think it'll make more sense once you see his video. Um, but there's certain things that are in the Bible explicitly, and there's other things that Jesus didn't explicitly talked about. So the example that he gave was talking about whether or not people who were going to be converting to 
Christianity needed to be circumcised or not, or whether that was part of the um, just the Mosaic law from before. And so talking about how if you were an adult male at the time and wanted to convert, that would be important for you to know. And just talking about how the different councils over time, that's part of church tradition. And that's where a lot of these beliefs, as far as saying like the official church teaching is abortion um, is not acceptable. So that's where, um, and the book um, talked about kind of um, moral codes and um, the value in having an external moral code. And so that's where this plays in as well, as far as church tradition. And so I think um, everybody, like people do have free choice and free will. Um, but then there's also church teachings where they do say, like, this is the official teaching. Um, and then there's other areas where there's flexibility or multiple ways that you could approach things. But abortion is one of the ones where the official church teaching is like, or that there is an official church teaching saying abortion is not okay. Um, and that all goes back to that sense of that it's critical to value life at all stages. So I don't know if that uh, answers Sherry's question, just because I don't know um, that I am familiar with the term that you're using, but I guess with the sense of that we need to have well-formed consciences, then that I think really links to understanding well what the church actually teaches and why and digging deep, because often there will be aspects at the surface level that people might like say that they do or don't believe or agree with something that the church teaches without really fully authentically knowing what the church teaches. Um, and so I think so if like, you dig deep into the, some of the areas, you might have a sense of, okay, well, I agree with this, this, and this, but here's the points of tensions rather than just full out saying like, no, I don't agree with the church on this. So this was basically it, um, like the Catholic church. I don't think, did you say that you saw Pope Francis does support it? <clears throat> so it's basically saying that like your cor- your, when you're faced with a serious moral dilemma, that your primacy of conscience is that you're the ultimate authority um, on what is considered morally permissible. And it's the obligation of the individual to follow their conscience, even if it confronts or acts against church teaching. This is the broad definition of primacy of conscience as it was explained to me. And so it, um, but, so but who, then the Catholic church is saying, that? what? Who was it that said that? Pope oh, this was, Francis. That was just, um, no, it wasn't Pope Francis. It was um, Father Massingale during a speech. But um, he Pope Francis said it in 2016. He's, he was okay. talking about So this was in 2017. But anyhow, the person that's talking about this is saying that the Catholic church would actually never um, endorse that because they feel like the church is the ultimate authority in all things. It's like the Eric Hartman of the world. <laughs> um, I, so here's, so I, I going back to what, like I 100% agree with what you said, Amanda, that we can't ignore disparities. Like disparities need to be focused on. And figuring out ways that we can, like, make things more equal. Um, But I still think that by having greater access to people to be educated about their bodies, about what they feel, um, and then, like, the rights they have on body autonomy, 
like there would probably be less abortions needed. Like if people are educated, the, the, the more people have comprehensive sex education, the it's like a proportionate relationship. And I feel like, I don't feel like the Catholic church is advocating in any way for people to have a really healthy understanding of their bodies outside of the context of making babies. So if you would look deeply into uh, St. Pope John Paul II's, he had a series of teaching called the theology of the body. And he actually does go very deeply into what the church teaches and it's comprehensive. And so you two have talked before about just having babies, having babies, but it is about unitive and procreative together alongside each other. So like if somebody was focusing just on the procreative side, that wouldn't be okay from a Catholic lens either. Like unitive and procreative need to go together with every sexual act. And so I think that a lot of it is um, it would take time to slowly learn through comprehensively the church teachings on all these other or all these different layers that we've talked about. But you're saying Um, every sexual act should be procreative. It should be oriented towards that. Like, no more like a sense of that. It's open to life. So like if people are doing naturally natural family planning, they can say that we're in a phase that we're trying to, avoid pregnancy or we are in a phase that we're trying to achieve pregnancy. So it's okay um, to discern over time to say like at this point in time, we're not trying to have a baby and then to avoid days that are fertile based on understanding your body and how it works. And there's different methods available in order to do that. However, it's the openness to life to say, we're not trying to achieve pregnancy right now, but we are open to life that if God chooses, then we're open to life and we're not doing anything to prevent it as far as not using artificial contraception. Um, And so that's where that part comes in. So like married couples can say we're not in a phase where we're trying to get pregnant and they're still engaging in sexual activity and intimacy because, but it's still oriented towards, it's still oriented towards procreative and unitive because they're not doing anything to prevent it. If that's what, is going to be happening, if that makes sense. Seems like a loophole to be able to just get it on whenever you want. You can be like, well, we're trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's the opposite loophole, and I think that it's not fair. I think that it um, it's basically saying, well, this is the method that we're choosing to prevent it. It's not any – if you are, like, following your body's rhythms and you're not having sex on certain days, you're not open to life because you're not just doing it randomly so that God chooses – and it's not any different than saying like for this, for the next five years, I don't want to have any babies. So I'm getting an IUD. Like that's not, there's no difference in that. It is different because you're, you're doing something that can prevent, like you're saying with something that's not natural that you're trying to prevent it. So it's a, being close to life. Whereas, and I guess this is where I think it would have to refer back to someone else explaining it. Like I'm not, the best at explaining it right now, but there is a distinction between if you're using something artificial versus um, just trying to uh, like, just trying to monitor your days and to make choices that way. And it's also like ongoing discernment and communication between the um, husband and the wife. And I don't know, I'm not explaining it fully well, but they do address that question of how is it different? 
Um, it is also a layer where it would get to a point where it is sinful if someone just indefinitely says we're just not like that sense of not being open to life or trying to avoid indefinitely. But yeah, I think that's where I would recommend that if you want to know more comprehensively what the church teaches, then um, theology of the body, I think, is the good starting point. I think um, it sounds like I don't necessarily have a poor understanding of it. I think I just disagree with it. Like, I think, like, I understand everything you're saying. Like, I understand that. And I understand that's the church's teaching. And I kind of already understood that as the church's teaching. I just don't agree with it. But I think that there's layers that I don't think that you fully understand it unless you look into specific, like, resources that explain aspects well. Because I would say that I, um, like, there's still a lot more that I could learn on the topic. So even if I feel like I've looked into it and I've lived it and navigated through different layers, I think there's still more that I can learn about it in order to better understand the church teaching. So I think like that you would have some sense of understanding, but I think there would be a lot of nuances that you don't necessarily know or fully understand, like why the church says that. So you might understand, okay, the church teaches this, but to fully understand the whys behind it, I would say that unless you've looked deeply into it, and even if you have looked deeply into it, that there's still going to be layers that you don't necessarily know yet because they're built over time. I feel like how do you, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Sherry. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I do feel like peeling back all the layers, you know, I could, every way that it's explained, you know, I could have a deep understanding of the nuance of the, theology of the body, of the doctrine related to sexuality, including abortion. I feel like at the end of the day, it's one of those things that is core to my belief, like the autonomy over one's own body and what happens to your own body and autonomy and making those decisions and still being a, that you can still be a person of faith, but one that would support having autonomy over the body and and just that I also, the other thing I really struggle with is that all of these, you know, the theology, the rules, the, you know, it, it all comes from this leadership, you know, the patriarchy, which, you know, they're, they're making a doctrine over which they can never truly understand. You know, like Pope John Paul has, would never have to make a decision about his own body. And the church certainly has a history of making, you know, helping nuns, others get abortions when, you know, priests didn't, when they were violating women's bodies. And I don't know. So like, if I, if I understand all of it and I still don't agree and I still believe in the right to choose, then does that mean that I can't ever be a good Catholic? So, I mean, I think that it would be that you, a recognition that you wouldn't be in full alignment with the Catholic church and teachings. Um, And then it would be up to Mm -hmm. kind of like talking to a spiritual director or a confessor over time, like just for guidance, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. So when you feel such strong convictions about autonomy over the body, so like, you would be able to look at your daughter and say, 
my autonomy over my own body is more important than your life. And if I wanted to make that choice, that would have been just fine. Like you can look at her and say that. Like if I didn't want you to exist. I can look at her. Yeah. I can look at her and say, your body is an autonomous, you are an autonomous being who should be empowered to make a choice over what happens within it and without it. I think it's also a false equivalency to say, like when I look at, you know, this person and they exist because when you, if a person makes a choice to have an abortion, that person never comes to be. So it's like people saying like Beethoven's mother almost had an abortion. We would have been missing this. No, we wouldn't have been missing it because it would never have happened. But they do come to be because they're already. No, it's a false equivalency because like all of us, none of our pregnancies were accidents. None of them. We tried for all of our babies, all of us, all three, all three of us. And so I wouldn't ever even have to have the conversation with my kids that like I had to wonder what I would do or like, but there are people out there who have been forced to carry pregnancies and they probably still wish they would have done it. And it's not fair to compare the two. Like I want my kids to understand that I value their bodies and that they value their own bodies and that they're respectful of other people. Lots of unideal situations when people have babies and everything turns out just fine, but everybody should still have autonomy over their own body. And that's where there's a clear disagreement between our beliefs because my girls were my girls from the moment they were conceived they body and soul, they were there, they existed, whether or not I had seen them yet, whether or not they had been born yet, they were them. And at that point, it would have still been, am I saying that it's okay that your life is in my hands to choose whether or not you can live or die ethically? I don't think that's okay. And I couldn't look at them and say, if I, if I were to say that I'm pro-choice, then it would be looking at them and saying, you know, like, if my circumstances had been this, this, or this, um, then it would have been acceptable and you didn't need to exist, you know? So yeah, I, I don't see it as them coming to be when they're born. They came to be when they were conceived and they were already a person. They were already forming. They already existed. So I think that that's something that's overlooked a lot in the pro-choice because it is Autonomy over a body shouldn't become before valuing a life. And it is a life. So, and I acknowledge. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that it's not a life. I'm not arguing that at all. But I'm saying like, it's not, it's a false equivalency because you have never gotten pregnant on accident. And so, <clears throat> and you have never, you have never been. How do you know like, that all of them were because you planned it all out. Like you tell us when you're thinking of having a baby, like we but can start seeing the your eye. Your next baby is like two years old. They were all born exactly when you were going to go on break, but you were still ready. For, you've said a million times that you <laughs> wanted to, you know what I mean? Like they were all timed around your school calendar, Amanda. You don't That's even go dumbest. poop on accident. Like <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. You know exactly what I'm saying. Like I, um, I, I think it's perfectly fine for me as a pro-choice person to say, 
it's not a decision I think I could have ever made. Like I can honestly say, I don't think I could have ever had an abortion at any stage in my life. And I think that's okay to say that, but to still say that I will not judge and I will not take that choice away from somebody else. Because I do feel, I do feel like no matter what situation I was in in my life, the life that I lived, the experience I have had, the childhood I had, the family supports I had, and the age at which I started having sex, and all those things factor into me being able to say, I don't ever see myself having had an abortion at all. And I am happy to tell my kids that. Like, there is no point in my life that I would have thought, like, huh, no I probably would have had an abortion for that. But it, it also means... I do not feel like I am in a position to take that choice away from anybody else. But I think getting back to the systemic side, that's where we have to ask the question of what about your life makes it so that you're able to say that, which you already just walked through a lot of those factors. So I think that that's something that we have to think about again, going back to not only the lives lost, but also the damage done to the women based on having an abortion and the different layers of healing that they need as a result of it then having to think about and just recognizing that there are layers of being pressured to have abortions based on not having those supports in place. And then they might be more likely to then have the abortion based on not having that support system, but not necessarily something that they wanted. And then just thinking about those layers of healing that are needed as a result. So I think. Right. And I'm not saying it needs to be the only choice. But that's like, that's not the only choice there is. And, the, and you're right. In some people's circumstances, they feel like it is their only choice, which means that more like reproductive justice issues need to be explored. And But until those things happen and we live in this utopia where everybody has adequate access to mental care and everybody has amazing education on their bodies and on sexuality and on sex. And they, everybody has access to free contraception so that they can choose when they engage in sex, whether or not that that sex act is opening themselves to having a baby. Like until all of those things are true, which is going to be a very long time, all of the choices have to be there. But a lot of the factors then exacerbate. So some of when you look at Catholic teaching versus popular culture, some of the teachings, they contribute to exacerbating the issues as well. So that's where I guess when thinking about theology of the body and why. Some of the teachings exacerbate the issues? No, like the, so things like pro-choice teachings about sexuality, a lot of those are when, so I guess with theology of the body, if you, if you learn more about it and kind of the depth of why it is God's vision for sexuality and then consider if that was something that more people were trying striving to live towards then it would positively impact society in many different ways but that's imposing every one religion on every single person and that's never going to happen and the data shows that the higher level of education people have about sex and sexuality the lower the abortion rates are and so you're going to make a lot more progress having higher, ed- like striving for everybody to have the same level of education and information than you ever would be striving to have everybody have the same religious code of ethics. I mean, entire wars are fought on religious code of ethics. Yeah, but I guess you also have to consider at what cost. So if, and I guess that's where like with the Catholic teachings and just thinking comprehensively of why they're what they are and what it can do, that there's always a cost if you're just saying to do something against the teaching. But I guess just the sense of 
recognizing from a Catholic lens that if I, as a Catholic, were to say, okay, I'll agree with that, then it would have to be with a sense that there would be a high cost that wouldn't be worth it, and that it's better to try to strive towards what the church teaches, even if it's something that will have obstacles and won't be perfect as far as implementation. Um, but to like work towards, I guess it comes down to the sense of trying to work towards instilling a sense of the truth, beauty, and goodness, and working towards that rather than trying to fall or like settle for something falling short of that based on it might not be realistic to fully implement for everyone. Um, and there's always free will. So there's, and knowing that it's faith, or I mean, um, like religious beliefs that there's the layer of choice and free will. So it's not like everybody in society is going to agree, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't advocate for it or try to work towards it or try to inform so that people can make a choice. Um, so I guess that's the sense of like a moral obligation to try to help inform of the church teachings and why and the benefits. So, and that goes back to, I talked in a previous week, I can't remember when, it might've just been with you two um, privately, but the sense of the church defines love as um, willing the good of the other. So if some popular cultural teachings or beliefs are less than what would be the greatest good of the other, then morally or ethically, I wouldn't be able to advocate that. Well, there's lots of things right now that are not for the greatest good of the other. Right. So, I mean, those are all areas where people should be striving towards the greatest good of the other and thinking comprehensively, not just the quick fix or the easy solution, but what is the greatest good and how do we work towards that? even if it'll be a long, slow process with a lot of obstacles. I feel like if this were a Western, this is the moment where we would walk out into the dusty road in front of the saloon and the good, bad, and the ugly theme song would play. <laughs> yeah. I think it just it comes down to the fact that like, um, at this point with the church's teachings, this is something that I will never align with. Yeah. One, is kind of the bottom line. Well, one thing that I thought- I don't know if this is even something that like, I don't know if this is even something that we're, we're going to want to publish because I think it's too, <laughs> I don't know. I think that there's part of it that it's like, I think we might have to just say we recorded an entire episode and then came back to it and realized that there's a lot of things that are messy and that there are just going to be some areas that we won't ever align because we didn't, I mean, we, geez, we spent like 45 minutes just talking about abortion. We didn't even get to the LGBTQ. Like, <laughs> like. But I think part of it is it's okay if it's published because it's part of, it's showing a snapshot of where everybody's at in their journeys right yeah. now. Yeah. And, and, that's why it's and it's just fine to show that in the mess and tension. And that's why it's a discussion that no one ever wants to have because it often. There's no, we're going to say the wrong thing no matter what. I mean, yeah, I think that we're all resolution. acknowledging right now that there are like humongous disparities across race and gender lines in yeah. the ability to make a fully autonomous choice because there are social constructs that remove some choices from the picture immediately. And then from there forward, I don't know, the choices get messier every choice has consequences 
But I think at the end of the day, like my stance is that I want to spend my life working so that I make more choices available to people through justice than taking choices away from people. And that just might not ever align with what the Catholic church says. Yeah. And I've thought um, about just as you've kind of talked over time and that sense of hope of wondering about whether or not you would be able to be a practicing Catholic and whether or not this is an obstacle um, that would be like insurmountable or not. And I kind of think the thing that's come to my mind thinking about it is just the sense of in the book, um, and Sherry brought this up in the last episode where she talked about needing to, I can't remember the exact terms, but recognizing God's goodness and needing to acknowledge that and then seek through that lens. And so I think the starting point is not necessarily these teachings because they are hard teachings for a lot of people to navigate through or to really even truly understand why the church believes what they do or where they're coming from, just because it doesn't seem to make sense with the strength of their convictions that they have. But I think that the more that you understand God and um, in the church, the month of June is focusing on the sacred heart of Jesus. And so thinking about Jesus's sacred heart and then he reveals the father. So knowing father, son, Holy spirit, I think the more that you try to understand God and like his goodness and his love, and then try to reconcile some of those questions, it might start to make more sense. So I would kind of recommend that with where you're at in the journey, even though it's a kind of a leap of faith of saying, okay, I feel like this tension's here and I don't know if I'll ever be able to get over it. So why would I even invest the time to try to consider this? I think that you don't want to sell yourself short and you should at least try to invest in a relationship with God to better understand like who God is, who he wants to be in your life, what he's inviting you to. Um, and you, like you would hold in the same, like in the other hand, you'd be holding, okay, and here's the tensions. I don't know how to reconcile this. I don't see how this can be coming from a God that is good. Like, how could this be? And you can like hold that tension there and just continually bring it in prayer because God doesn't want, doesn't force beliefs. So the church can say, here's the official teaching, but it's not, people are supposed to use their reason and their will and to form their conscience and to develop their capacity over time of beliefs. And just a sense that God wouldn't want you to just automatically say, well, I want to be a practicing Catholic or I want to consider this. So I need to just blindly accept this. So I think that would be my recommendation of just really trying to better know God and to consider like in a life of prayer, um, and to go to God with the tensions that you have over time. And I don't know if that makes sense, but again, like I, that would be my recommendation that it would be good to kind of like read the gospels and see who was Jesus. How did he treat people? How did he interact with teachings that were hard? How did he treat people with compassion, but also let them know, here's what would be the greatest good for you. Here's what I desire for you. How did he heal them? And then call them to invite them to make certain choices, knowing that that would bring them greater happiness, but ultimately still leaving that in their hands. So that's kind of one of the things that stood out to me. Yeah. Um, that I think like 
I mean, have you heard of the organization Catholics for Choice? I think I sent that you guys the link to that. You didn't send a link, but you mentioned it the last time. Yeah. And I think part of it is I kind of thought through that a little bit. I didn't look into it, but I thought about the the sense of when you're trying to seek and recognizing I think that it's natural to try to find since it was connected to a sense of hope and feeling like if you couldn't reconcile that, then maybe there wouldn't be a sense of being able to be Catholic. Um, And so I think it's natural to try to find like, okay, well, is it compatible to be Catholic and hold these beliefs? Um, But I think the better starting point would be to try to just look deeply into the church teaching and again, to like lean into relationship with God and to navigate that with God, Um, just like from the sense of acknowledging God's goodness and trying to understand, like, how could this be with all those different layers that you're wondering? Because they can say, you know, I can't remember what you said their official name was. Catholics for Choice. But at the end of the day, yeah, so Catholics for Choice. So they can say that, but at the end of the day, they're officially against church teachings. And I remember you said that they have different rationales of how they have like links to apostolic, but that's where, and I guess that's when you brought that up the last time. That's when I thought about that father Mike video talking about Catholic versus Christian and the authority of sacred tradition. And so that's where it kind of comes in with um, that. There is a role of the authority of the church to help make decisions based on like knowing that there's different moral issues that come up and there will be different perspectives and needing to have guidance and that God left that structure in place to help us navigate when there's teachings like that. So I guess, yeah, with that, that was kind of my thought of that. I really encourage you to first like dig deep into the church teachings, but I think it has to be alongside investing in your relationship with God, or I don't think that it will be that fruitful. Um, because you wouldn't ever really get at the sense of God's goodness to then try to frame and understand what the church is teaching. Okay. But then also just knowing like, it's not something where it's forced or automatic or like, it might be something that you always feel that tension. But what if it's just like the, what if it's just like the structure of the hierarchy needs to change? Like what if it's just that, that it's not, me trying to see if I can adapt the Catholic church into what I believe, but what if it's like, is there a potential for the Catholic church to ever change what they're dictating? So there's certain church teachings that are taught with authority. Um, So not everything that Pope Francis says carries the weight of authority of a Pope speaking from sacred tradition, but there's specific times when Pope's talk and say, like, give the official church teachings, that then that carries the weight. And some of those things are saying, and this will never change. So it's important when talking, you know, like, in general, the umbrella of church teachings to know, is it something that they've said, like, this is infallible, and this will never change, um, based on, you know, God's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. That seems fallible in of itself. Like, something that is not ever willing... Can there ever be something that they, can you ever say definitively that a doctrine would never change though? So there's certain, it depends on. But there are multiple doctrines in the church that have never changed. Like women can't be priests still. Like there's lots of doctrines that they think will never change. 
They would let priests marry before they would let priests but be a woman. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, so I guess, the, but the main so point that I'm trying discussion. to make is just that you, like, there's different degrees of church <laughs> teaching and different, like, and different weight carried with Pope saying things in different contexts. Um, but when it is a Pope speaking with authority and infallibility as an official church teaching that does carry that weight, um, then that's where it kind of gets at the... And this is one of them? Um, well, the sense of the value of life. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. mean. Yeah. And I would have to look up the official... But I don't, from what I've heard and what I know, like this isn't one of the things that they wouldn't, I wouldn't anticipate holding out for it to change just because it has to do with the very foundation of valuing life. And then that is a slippery slope. If you don't value life in the smallest form, then everything else flows from that. Okay. But that I, I think, I really encourage you to then consider, but what is it that God offers and invites people to? And is that worth more than like clinging on to a certain belief? Or so that's where I think that there's allowing for that process to take place. That's my sticking okay. point. I don't feel like there's anything that could ever be brought to the table that is more important than the autonomous, you know, the ability to choose what happens to your own body. But I understand what you're saying about it doesn't mean that you can't still ask God in prayer, you know, as I'm wrestling with this, but I feel like my prayer is um, not, you know, what can you offer me to help me change my mind? Yeah. Mine either. It's like, what can happen to make you change yours? (laughs) Church. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So God. And I feel like there's Well, and that's where I think oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say that's where I think that there has to be a sense of openness though, because if you're trying to go into relationship with God and a willingness to recognize we're human, but he's God and have that sense of humility of like I'm really strong in this conviction. I don't want to change. And I don't think there's anything that anyone can say or that the church can teach that would change this belief. But I think that even if you go forward with that strong conviction, there also has to be humility alongside of it and an openness of if there is some something that would eventually shift your conviction to have an openness to go in that direction if you did get to that point. So I guess like with anything, like an openness like it, can link with specific careers or different things in life, like to always like to acknowledge God's goodness and that he does know more than we do. And just that's, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm back to my body. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm back to step one where I'm like, yep. Just pretending never going to feel real. I know. And I feel like there's a ton of people pretending this in church that are pro-choice and there's just like this silent contract that like, okay, we know that we're just in this patriarchy, but we want to be Catholic. And then we're all just like Sarah said, back to square one. But I guess that like back at square one, then the question is what is God offering? And is that something that you want or not? And if it is something you want, then it's taking steps in the direction to be willing to try to foster that relationship. And again, like I, I think that it always has to start with the relationship. Um, 
because then that's where it will feel real, not just faking it, you know, like, but I think if you're just trying to look at, there's a saying of uh, rules without relationship equals rebellion. And so if the relationship's not there and you're not seeing what God's offering you and how that is the greatest good, then nothing else will make sense necessarily. And so ultimately you have to say, like, is heaven um, and your eternal life, does that matter more than like digging in your heels on earth about a certain thing in this temporal life that's going to be passing? Like, is it worth it to at least consider and try to develop that relationship with God? Or is it something where you're like, no, if, if the church believes this and I'm completely against it, then I'm completely walking away from that invitation from God for my eternal life in heaven. I think like that's ultimately what it comes down to. Well, you kind of have to believe in eternal life in heaven for all those things to matter. Right. But yeah, that's what I mean by like back to square one. Like I could, I feel like I could convince myself that that's all real if there weren't these gaping holes in doctrine that I, I am more concerned with how I behave and the impact I have here than I am worried about what happens when I'm dead. Except that like, cause that I don't, Right, except that what happens when I'm dead. I mean, it is something like for me, since I do believe it does matter to me because that's eternal in this, even though it feels like forever, like it's not. This is just like eventually I'll die and my life will have been this finite amount of time, like my life living on earth. Um, but that is forever. And so I guess that's but that's what I mean. Like you have to believe that part first in order to make the concessions about things that would compromise your current convictions. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I am going backwards. Like if I don't yet even know if all that stuff exists, then I don't want to compromise my convictions here on here in the now for something that I'm not even sure. And I know you're never going to be sure, but for something that still feels like but a fairy tale to me. Part of it, it's not sure. really asking you to compromise your convictions. Um, it's about having an openness to try to start the really, like to start to consider. So maybe the starting point for you is like to pray, you know, like, is this real? If so, if so, help me to understand it or help me to get a sense of whether or not heaven and hell are real. And I mean, I think that would be the starting point, maybe, to try to have that sense of, is this real or not? Because if not, then I want to focus on the here and the now, you know. So thanks for tuning in as we fumbled along on this discussion that I know is hard for a lot of people to talk about. And next time we will be discussing the book, Rediscover Catholicism, A Spiritual Guide to Living with Passion and Purpose by Matthew Kelly. And it was written in 2002.